Section 97 of Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by April 6090, California, United States of America. The World's Story, Volume 8. Norway, Sweden, Denmark, Iceland, Greenland, and the Search for the Poles. Edited by Eva March Tappan. Section 97. How to Build a Snow Hut by Roald Amundsen. In order to obtain a correct idea as to how a hut should be built in the most approved style, we will pay a visit to the master builder, Atiklira. He is standing just below the summit of the ridge, beckoning to Nalungia, to intimate that he has found a suitable spot and that she is to bring him his snow shovel. A glance at the site he has selected shows that Atiklara is a practical man, as well as a man of taste. The position is well sheltered to the north, east, and west, and the crest of the ridge at the back will prove a barrier to the biting north wind. Towards the south, the prospect is open and will have the full benefit of the sunshine. Close by there is a small lake or pond which will supply the most delicious drinking water for the family. The country hereabouts consists mainly of spacious plains and beautiful lakes. Meanwhile, Nalungia has arrived with the snow shovel. This is made of a wooden board, which Atiklura has obtained by barter from tribes dwelling farther south. As there is no wood in Chile, nor does the smallest piece of driftwood ever find its way to these latitudes. The shovel is made in a very workmanlike manner, and excellently suited for its purpose as long as the snow is loose. For hard snow, of course, our iron spades would be preferable. It is strengthened at the lower end with reindeer bone. Now, the first thing Atiklura does is to shovel away the upper loose layer of snow in the circumference within which he had planned to erect his hut. He does so with a true eye, as the large number of huts he has built in his lifetime has given him good practice. Then he draws out the knife which has hitherto been suspended by a loop on the bone peg at the back of his anorak. It is quite a monster knife, enough to frighten anyone who had not seen it before. The blade is as large as that of an ordinary good-sized butcher's knife, and is made of iron, which has also come from the south. The handle is about a foot long, and is of wood or bone. Taking the handle with both hands, he commenced to cut out his ice blocks for building the hut. These are cut out to a size about 18 inches wide, 24 inches long, and 4 inches thick. If cut out in this way, the building site itself will yield sufficient material for the whole construction. It is a pleasure to see how a good builder cuts each block so that it just fits where he sets it. A Ticlura is a veritable prodigy at this work. Not one of his blocks ever breaks in pieces, although he appears to cut them out without any particular care. Just a cut here and there, then a kick, and the thin, neat block stands separated from the mass of snow. All the blocks from a Ticlura's hand are so exactly equal in size that they look as if they had been accurately measured. The hut is built up in spirals in the form of a haycock or beehive, so that one layer of blocks rests on the previous one and extends a little further inward. In joining the blocks, the sides must be fitted to each other so that the walls are perfectly tight. 
the builder's skill can be gauged by the tightness of the hut but even with Atticlera's skill it is impossible to avoid some few small chinks here and there it is nolungia's task to fill up these chinks for this purpose she works the shoveled up loose snow until it is as fine as grated sugar for it is only when it is in this state that it can be used for making the joints tight it is thrown up against the blocks as soon as they are placed in position and fills in every little hole and crevice the walls of the hut rise quickly as the blocks are cut out the ground is cleared downwards and as they are set into their places they serve to increase the height of the walls of the cleared site Atiklera looks as if he had been standing on his head in a flower tub he is covered with snow all over his clothes hair and beard are white as chalk his long gloves prevent the snow from getting into the sleeves of the anorak building the roof of such a snow hut is a very complicated affair to the uninitiated many a snow block did i get on my head when i essayed this work the snow blocks have to be set back gradually inward and when the work is nearing completion the last blocks would appear to be literally suspended in the air without any base or support the last block or keystone which closes the roof in the centre is quite small and in most cases triangular to fix it in its position from the outside it must first be juggled out through the hole which it is eventually to fill this looks impossible but the eskimo achieves the impossible with one hand he raises his block to the outside through the hole at the top and while holding it he cuts it into the shape of a wedge with a knife he holds in the other and when he lowers it into the hole it fits it as if it had been molded for the purpose nalungia aided by Herrera, has perseveringly plastered over the outside of the hut with fine snow so that it simply looks like a snow heap the outlines of the blocks are now quite concealed under the snow but the hut is perfectly tight as the fine snow works itself in wherever there is the slightest hole or crevice the master builder himself is not yet visible he is still busy in the interior of the hut where he is now completely built in at last his long-bladed knife protrudes from the wall of snow and with a rapid movement he cuts a hole just large enough for him to creep through i am surprised to see how high up the wall he cuts the hole as in all the huts i have hitherto seen this entrance hole was quite down to the floor now nalungia creeps in through the aperture and i follow her to see what she is going to do in the way of further internal arrangements i am at once enlightened as to why the aperture is made so high up atiklera has cut it on a level with the sleeping berth to expedite the work of moving in he has constructed the sleeping berth as follows he has first divided the hut by a row of snow blocks into two compartments of which the inner one is twice as large as the outer he throws all the loose refuse snow lying in the hut into the inner compartment until it reaches the level of the row of blocks and there you have the bedstead quite ready at the opposite end of the hut there is another small erection made of two blocks set on edge and a third laid across them like a table slab now commences the moving in through the aperture above the sleeping berth large quantities of skins are thrown in and slung topsy-turvy upon the sleeping place next comes all the furniture a drying grid water bucket cooking pot blubber lamp provisions blubber meat and fish and lastly the women's personal belongings 
which I dare not specify more fully. Now it looks as if all were over, and Mrs. Nalungia casts an inquiring look at me, as much as to say, Are you going to creep out? I have no idea what is about to happen, but my curiosity prompts me to remain, thinking that anything much worse than I had seen before was hardly likely to occur. But I certainly was a little taken aback when the hole over the sleeping berth was suddenly blocked up again from outside, and I was alone, with one lady in a closed-up hut. However, as Nalungia did not seem to mind it in the least, why should I trouble? Disregarding me, she set to work with a will. The heavy blubber lamp was first raised upon the little snow table near the wall opposite the sleeping berth. This lamp is made of a kind of stone they obtained from the Utkohik Chaliak Eskimo. It is carved in the form of a crescent, and it is heavy and clumsy. It is placed upon three pieces of bone inserted in the snow slab, so that the inner edge of the crescent is turned towards the interior of the hut, while the outer edge is towards the wall. The blubber bag is now brought out, and a piece of frozen blubber taken from it. This is beaten with a specially made club of musk ox bone, until it is quite soft. Now she produces from one of her repositories a little tuft of moss, which she carefully soaks with seal oil. Ugh! I remember with horror those mysterious light pastilles. And then she sets to work to get a light by rubbing pieces of wood together. The pastille soon sends out the most dazzling rays. The crushed blubber is put into the lamp, and a wick of moss is laid along the hole of the straight inner edge. This is sprinkled with seal oil and ignited by means of the burning tuft of moss. The whole wick is now ablaze, and a brilliant flame lights up the roomy hut. I ask myself what in the world she wants with this brilliant flame, as she has now finished arranging the hut, and I am almost on the point of upbraiding her for this waste of precious oil, but I refrain, as I remember that an Eskimo never does anything without good reason. In fact, it soon becomes apparent that here, too, my judgment is premature. Gradually, an oppressive heat spreads from the mighty flame, and now I understand that her object is to cause the newly built hut to settle well down at the joints. As the result of the heat thus produced, the snow blocks gradually close up till they may be said to form one single continuous wall. While this is going on, Nalungia makes good use of her time and gets the sleeping berth into proper order. The waterproof kayak skins are laid next to the snow. These have been taken from the kayaks in the autumn and will keep the moisture of the snow away from the reindeer skins neatly arranged over them, and the sleeping berth looks quite cozy. Again she turns her attention to the lamp and trims the wick. This has to be done frequently. The saucepan is then filled with snow and suspended over the flame by two cords, secured to two bones fastened into the wall. The family may want refreshment after this job. The drawing grid made of reindeer bone, strung over with a network of sinew thread, is now fixed up over the saucepan, but not too near the fire. The skins will not bear too much heat. Finally, the anauda, a small round thick wooden stick, with the handle used for beating the snow off the clothes is, by way of a finishing touch, driven into the wall. Everything is now ready, and none too soon, for at this moment a tiglura is calling from outside asking if he may come in. Nalungia casts a last critical look round the walls and tells him to wait a little. He goes off muttering something. Nalungia looks as though she meant to pay him out for his courtesy by keeping him waiting a little longer and it is quite another half-hour before she calls him in. 
Then an opening is made through the wall, right down to the floor, large enough for a man to creep through, and Atiklura's head appears through it. A moment later he is inside the hut. He takes off his soaking wet gloves, then throws them towards his wife, who turns them inside out and hangs them on the drying grid. Then she takes his coat, shakes it, and well beats it with the anauda, for it is important to remove very little grain of snow to prevent its melting and wetting the coat, which is then rolled up and thrown on the bed. The outer trousers are then treated in the same way and placed with the coat next to the anorak. Atiklura stands there in his undergarb. This does not sound exactly comilfo, according to our ideas, but it calls for no comment among the Eskimo. He now walks up to the sleeping place and sits down, not as we might do on the edge, but well back so that he can rest his legs. Now the footgear must be removed, and this is not a very simple matter, as an Eskimo's footgear consists of five different articles. Outermost are the low reindeer skin shoes, made with the hairy side inwards. For a man of Atiklora's high descent, these are half-soled with sealskin. On the bottom of the sole there are some perceptible ridges which, on closer inspection, prove to be strips of skin sewed on to prevent the foot from slipping. Next come the kymics, which at this time of year are exclusively of reindeer skin. There are two pairs of these. The outer are made of the hide from the reindeer's leg, which is short-haired and very strong. They are made with the hairy side inwards and reach up to the knee, where they are laced up with a thong. Underneath these is another pair, exactly of the same length and appearance, but with the hairy side outwards. These are made out of the hide of a one-year-old reindeer taken from the abdomen, as the skin there is very fine and soft. Between these two pairs of kamiks, the Eskimo wears a pair of short reindeer skin socks, with the hairy side outward, and lastly, another pair of socks next to the skin with the hairy side inwards, so that altogether the feet have five different coverings. When I first saw this, I thought that, after all, we were rather more hardy than the Eskimo, as we only used three articles of footgear. But on my first laying tour, I realized that it was not simply for protection against cold that the Eskimo used all these articles, but, to a great extent, to protect the feet against the hard snow and ice on which they are always walking. With my triple footgear, I became so footsore that I could scarcely walk. Like the gloves, all the footgear must be put on the grid to dry. The inconvenience of skin clothing is that, unless kept well aired, it is very apt to absorb and retain any moisture. The Nichili Eskimo did not know of sedge grass. They put loose reindeer hair into their boots and take it out at night. This was better than nothing, but not nearly as good as our grass. When a Lura has removed his wet footgear, he puts on a pair of dry kamiks and a pair of low sealskin shoes, kamilitkin, corresponding to our slippers. In winter, these are used inside the hut only, but during the transition period between winter and spring, they are worn outside. As far as the care of the outer man is concerned, Atiklura is now ready, and is therefore at liberty to think of the needs of the inner man. And these are not trivial. After the trying day's work, a fine salmon is served up, and all the members of the family partake freely. Frozen though it is, it seems to be highly relished, and very shortly there is nothing left but the clean-stripped skeleton. The saucepan now full of fresh, clean water and a few hundreds of reindeer hairs, of course are not looked upon as impurities is emptied and refilled with snow and suspended again over the fire. Water is the only drink the Nichili Eskimo know, 
no half and half of any kind is to be had there they now announce that there is no more room in their stomachs for either salmon or water and the meal is finished it is now time to turn in nalungia prepares the bed for the night arranging the beautiful soft skins Atiklura closes up the entrance securely with a block of snow slips in under the large family bed rug and there disrobes unlike the greenland eskimo these people of either sex never disrobe in the presence of strangers except in the greatest emergency the guest of the family is assigned a place at one side of the hut little and knee and area have turned in long ago and the berth nearest the fireplace is reserved for nalungia she extinguishes the light and arranges her toilet in the dark the large skin bed rugs are their only covering at night vigorous snoring soon announces that they are asleep end of section ninety seven this recording is in the public domain